Hello from Houston, and welcome to the Highlights Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi, and I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston. And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. So today um, we have a very good guest um, and a friend of mine. His name is Anthony Collier. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Anthony Collier is a 2L at the University of Texas School of Law. Um, He currently serves as the student body president of the UT Student Bar Association. Um, And I know they just had elections. So, um, you know, things are wrapping up. Um, Anthony was recently elected as the chair of the National Black Law Student Association, which is the largest student-run nonprofit organization in the United States. Um, So, you know, we just thought Anthony is, I mean, he has a servant's heart. He's been doing a lot for law students. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to come talk to him, see where his mind's at, see how someone can be so connected, um, you know, as a law student and, and just be, you know, he's, he's, he's an organizer and it's great to see. So, so, um, once again, thanks Anthony for, for coming to the podcast. Um, hope you're having a good Saturday. Hope everything's going well. Yeah, everything is great. Thank you. And I have to say, y'all have like the perfect voices for a podcast. When I was <laughs> to the intro, I was like, wow, this is, this is really impressive. But, uh, Femi, I appreciate you for having me. Uh, you've been a great mentor to me. I met you at Admitted Students Day and you showed me the ropes and I, I will be forever grateful. So, thanks. Uh, listen. You know the 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 pleasure's all mine. You know I I definitely love you know just uh, getting in contact with with you know future young lawyers and um I I will say I think you've you've done more than than I ever did in law school. So, uh, I'm, 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 happy, I'm happy to to be able to help you out. Um, so uh, Anthony, why why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I know you're from Houston. Like what you know? What's your background? How did you uh? You know, how are things? How did you decide to to go to law school? Sure. So, yeah, I was born in Houston. I actually spent middle school and high school out in Maynard, Texas, which is like which was a small country town uh, on the outskirts of Austin. But it has started to develop as, you know, black people have kind of been pushed out of the east side and moved to to Maynard. It's it's grown um, tremendously since since I was there just recently. But so I ended up going to, to Texas Southern University in Houston, which is the only HBCU in Houston. And the way that I decided to go to law school was I attended a panel discussion and an attorney was on the panel. I'm a first generation college student. I didn't know any lawyers growing up. And the the, uh, speaker was Dr. Elwin Lee, who was the vice chancellor of the UH system and also Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee's husband. And so as we were having a conversation, he just said that I should consider going to law school and that the University of Houston has a pre-law pipeline program that I should attend, that I should apply for. So I applied, did the pre-law pipeline program. I did well in the program. And that's when I decided I would apply to law school. Okay. Okay. And so in that context of him saying that you should go to law school, like, did you have a certain career path or, or, you know, did he think of a career path that, that, you know, would be 
better suited for you that that either it you know requires you to be a lawyer or or that would you know benefit from you having that legal background yes so i was a student activist at tsu i was heavily involved in activism from police brutality to um policy reform like i was uh implemental in getting the houston the hpd body camera policy reform and so i think uh speaking to him about like some of the activism i was doing and some of the policy ideas i had he figured that a law degree would open a lot of doors for me and make yeah. that path of, of being a change agent, agent a lot easier for me. I'm, I'm just curious, since so much has happened in this country in the last 10 years, what years were you an undergraduate student? From 2014 to 2018. So some oh. of the, like the first protest I ever organized was in front of the home of Brian Insignia, who was the uh, state trooper who pulled over Sandra Bland. And before the, I organized the protest in front of his home, he was still on the payroll. He was still employed. But after that, uh, he was fired because we, we drew so much attention on it, on how egregious it was that he treated Sandra Bland and how they're still, you know, he's still employed. So that was the first protest I did. And that was the summer of 2015 after my freshman year at TSU. And then I just kind of never looked back after that. Wow. And you also mentioned it's just like maybe it's also of interest to the listeners but i'm interested in you mentioned the uh pre-law pipeline program i think is what yes. it was called what yep. what exactly is that how does it work for an undergraduate student mm-hmm. so the pre-law pipeline program is an incredible program it's a comprehensive law school prep program during the summer where you live on campus at the university of houston and you go to the law school monday through friday and they help they give you provide you with lsat prep but they also provide resume workshops. They provide, they help you um, with your personal statement. And the yeah. law school admissions office there helps you build your application and you take classes from law school professors there. They also gave me a paid internship at Bracewell uh, in the uh-huh. Pennzoil Tower in downtown Houston. So they really just exposed me to uh, the, the, law, the law school process. And so for someone who was interested in going to law school, that's like a program you do maybe a year and a half or two years before you apply or or start doing like the LSAT and things like that? So they have three tracks. They have the Scholar One track, which is like for um, sophomores, I believe. Going to, Well, you can do it at the summer after your freshman year too, because that's when I did it. But like usually it's like sophomores going into their uh, junior year maybe. And so uh, that's when they give you some LSAT prep, but they give you law school prep courses, and then they give you like the paid internship. The second track is for rising seniors, right? Juniors going into your senior year, and that's all LSAT prep. And it's uh, and it's intensive. Okay. I actually did all three tracks, so that's all LSAT prep. And then the third track is the bridge program to where once you're accepted into law school, they give you a paid internship with a law firm the summer before law school. So wow. um, I did all three tracks at, at the pre-law pipeline program, and yeah, I highly recommend it. And I'm actually working yeah. on a partnership with them with the National Black Law Students Association to fund six uh, Nabasa pre-law scholars to fully fund them to go through the program. Wow, that's a very robust wow, that's, program. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really good. So, um, <clears throat> so you know, you you had initially started out, you know, you were in student activism, and then you find yourself sort of dabbling in, in these various like areas, you know, law firms and such. <clears throat> so how, how have you 
what what have you decided to do now have, have you decided to, to stay on the i guess like the the sort of civil rights path i have i have so i okay. did i did spend two summers at bracewell the summer after my freshman year undergrad and then the summer before law school but my 1l summer I, I decided to go with the NAACP. I did the uh, NAACP 2020 Law Fellow Program where I worked on impact okay. litigation and actually got to sue the Trump administration. And um, and while I was there that summer, that's when the NAACP defeated the Trump administration over the DACA um, program. So that I did that my one other summer. This upcoming summer, I'll be clerking on Capitol Hill in D.C. So I'll be um, going to uh, con- clerking for Congress this summer as far as like my long-term goals i probably do civil rights i I, I do have an offer from a civil rights firm in houston i'm not sure if i uh if i would take it though i'm I'm leaving my options open we'll see maybe i'll do an externship after um after my three year but um but civil rights law is probably where i'm headed awesome well i mean that's that's quite a resume um the the lawsuit the uh capitol hill um, sounds like th- things are definitely working well. Um, and, you know, it's also good to just see people who have decided to go into law school with a certain, you know, a, a certain uh, practice area in mind and it's it's coming to, to fruition. So, yeah, you know, props props to you for that. Thank you. Um, so I guess, you know, just more more critically, you know, you you want to engage in, you know, civil rights and and have this. uh you know, activism piece, like that, that's your career. So how does that inform, um, you know, just your involvement in extracurricular activities on campus or is that separate? Um, okay. That's, I think it's, is is very intertwined. So I am the, I'm actually the class of 2022 G. Rowley White public service scholar, which comes with a, oh, okay. uh, uh, yeah, it comes with a full um, tuition scholarship. And okay. so with that, with that comes me being on the uh, J- William Wayne Justice Center Board of Advisors. So that was the first organization I joined coming into okay. Texas Law because of my because of my scholarship. It's, mm-hmm. It ensured a seat on that board. And so also I did the, the Civil Rights Clinic um, last semester and I did the and I was a lead student counselor for the Texas Law Expunction Project. Mm-hmm. So I've been pretty involved in uh, on campus yeah. and um and then public interest type organizations and clinics. So for um in in terms of applying for the the G Rowley White scholarship, mm-hmm. what do you have to show to them, you know, in to to get that scholarship? I think they were looking for someone who who had a demonstrated history of public service. Um, they were looking at, uh, you know, there's a saying that goes that you don't reward a man to make him faithful. You reward a man because he's been faithful. And so I think they were able to look at my resume and see mm-hmm. some of the public interest stuff I had already been involved with to determine that, OK, this is somebody we think we feel comfortable giving a, a full scholarship to. So to combat like okay. the pressures of of going of going to Big Lie. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with Big Lie. But there, but there mm-hmm. are some people who actually don't like big law, but feel pressured to go there to pay off debt. Um, so right. I feel like people who go into big law, they should go because they want to, because they're interested in that type of law, not because they yeah. feel compelled to to pay off debt. Right, right. And how how many of these scholarships are uh, are given every year? There's only one. There's only one G. Rowley White oh, uh, uh, Public Service Scholar okay. every year. 
So, so you're the, you hit the jackpot. Then. I did. Absolutely. I've been very blessed. <laughs> Good. So, I mean, you, you struck and continue to strike me as someone who's very optimistic. And I think when we first got on the call here, you, you mentioned that you've had a very positive experience at Texas law and as a law student. And I can't help but think that, you know, a year and a half of your time as a law student has been characterized by the pandemic and kind of talking about extracurricular activities like this. I'm just interested in if you can give us an idea sort of what a snapshot of what law school student life has been like during this time, and especially you as as a student leader, because not only have you been um, involved in all these public interest efforts, but this past year you were, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but you were president of the Student Bar Association. But how how has student life been for you specifically, but also generally at at UT? Yeah, so it definitely was a big difference, and I and I prefer to be in person. But I will say I got most of my one year in person. It was after spring break when they basically said, "Don't come back," right? So we left for spring break and we and we never came back. So during my one year, I was able to travel extensively. I was able to go to the National Black Law Students Association uh, convention in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was able to go to the Southwest Region uh, convention, which was in Dallas, where I got elected chair of the Southwest Region. And then I was able to travel to Yale Law School for the Rebellious Lawyer and Clinic. And so, um, yeah, and being on campus was great. I'm a people person, so it was incredible. Now, when we shifted to online, it was a little different. Um, the fall of my tour year, I did have one class in person, but the majority of my classes were online. And yeah, it was kind of tough. Like a lot of, because I'm like I said, I'm a pretty active person. So a lot of the um, events I would usually go to that became virtual, I kind of stopped going to some of them. And uh, some of the organizations that I were more that I was more active in, I did kind of scale back just from Zoom fatigue. Um, yeah. But I just tried to make the most of, of, of what I had and what I've been given. And yeah, yeah. And I think I've, I've done that. I, I think every every single lawyer has had those same problems too this past, uh, these past months with a lot of local organizations as well as we've done a lot of virtual programming. Mm-hmm. Very much so, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so I sort of following up on that, you're a 2L, kind of a, I mean, a rising 3L, I think it's safe to say at this point, as we approach the end of the academic year, have you had a role in maybe engaging 1Ls in any way as they start law school, have started law school this past year, maybe any 0Ls who are coming in next year, or anything as far as upperclassmen, because I know even if you're not involved in extracurricular activities, you can sort of slip off the radar, just go to classes. And how how are those interactions and engagements and sort of mobilization of people? Sure. So, yeah, the the law school has made me an ambassador, right? I believe they have an official ambassadors program and ambassadors used to get paid. But one day I received the email and it was me and it was another student. And they said, hey, this uh, incoming student wants to connect with, you know, two of our ambassadors. Is it okay if I give you their number? And so I looked down at the email chain, right? And uh, I saw a link where the guy was asking to speak to me and the other student. And I clicked on the link and there's a list of student ambassadors and I'm the first one there with with my picture just smiling. I'm like, I never (laughs) signed up for this, but... Oh, it was uh, interesting, and I and I was and I spoke to the other student. And I was like, "Man, don't y'all get paid for this? Because uh, they need to run me my check." But he said, <laughs> "Oh yeah." <laughs> but he said, since it switched to virtual, they haven't been paying, 
And so, and I guess maybe I don't know since they figure since I'm like student body president or what, and since they since they're not paying anymore, I guess they figured out they would be fine with just kind of slipping me in, which I'm, I mean, which is cool. I did uh, to speak with the student, and they have had me like, uh, and and if and I will just say this, like if it switches back to in person next year, I'm willing to continue to do it, but they're gonna have to pay me like they pay everybody else. But anyway, um, <laughs> they just compensation that's what it's Absolutely. about but um my time is valuable but but as, far, <laughs> but as far as like um so i have been pretty involved with um incoming students like i just the other night they had like a um social hour for the incoming class it was like over 100 students on the on the zoom maybe close to 200 and they put us in different breakout rooms mm. for about an hour so for in like 15 minute segments so i spent the hour meeting the new students welcoming them in giving them advice housing tips things of that nature now as far as the current students we try to keep them engaged through sba like we we have like uh an events outside like a socially distanced um event for example uh we we did something for the one else where they would put on headphones and they were all you know it would all play the same music i think it's called like a silent disco and we provided them with yeah. snacks and uh and things of that nature That's really mm-hmm. cool. or, or, or we would do like virtual game nights or we would do a socially distanced uh day at the park <clears throat> so there so we we found creative ways to keep students engaged and connected very cool awesome um, so how, how has it been, you know, like working with, I, I don't really know what, what I called it, but I guess the cabinet for student bar association, mm-hmm. you know, the, the VPs and, and the directors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been interesting, like, uh, since it's, with it being virtual, uh, like engagement is not as high as it was for the board last year, but whenever there's, um, a need, like if there's a vote that must be had, then usually I let my chief of staff, um, you know, send out the zoom link and the agenda and tell people we have a meeting but if there's something i know that needs to be voted on and i want to ensure that we have more than enough of a quorum i send the email personally and usually when it comes for me everybody shows up and so uh for example one thing we did was we established the chief diversity officer who is appointed by the president and so uh, this person is responsible for representing all of the needs of the affinity groups, like the uh, Black Law wow. Students Association, the uh, Asian and Pacific American students. And so uh, okay. for that, we had to amend the Constitution. We needed our hands on deck. So I would personally send an email out and say, hey, I need y'all at this meeting for this, you know? Yeah. And so, and it passed, yeah. and he's been doing an incredible job. He's a one now uh, named Azim. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, okay. he's and I really love self-starters and people who take the initiative and you don't have to yeah. really tell them what to do they'll just come and ask you if it's okay like ask for permission and so yeah it's, it's been great so for so for those type of things um when i if i personally ask them to come usually they don't come but if it comes from the cheapest staff we'll have a quorum but we'll we'll if there'll be some drop off like we'll be missing some people from meeting to meeting yeah so l- let me ask what what spurred the need for a separate chief diversity officer mm-hmm. that that you felt needed to be addressed i think that because of what's been going this is uh last year has been in this year too has been very tumultuous like we had the george floyd um protest mm-hmm. during the summer and we had right. the increase right. in violence against uh asian americans and so I just want to make sure that in our SBA meetings, there's always somebody who, because, you know, we might get busy, we might be doing other things, but I want to make sure there's one person whose sole job it is, is to represent those students and to make sure that their needs are being met and that they have everything they need. Okay. Okay. Good. So I just want to make sure we point out, so as we mentioned earlier, you are a 
you're currently a 2L, a rising 3L. Yet this past year, and Femi, you were president of the Student Bar Association when you we were in law school together. Uh, disclosure. <laughs> disclosure. We also both <laughs> went to UT for those <laughs> who aren't yet aware. Um, but Femi, you are president of SBA as a 3L, and it seems Anthony yeah, here has yeah. been president as a as a 2L. And I'm just a little curious to hear about strikes me as a little unusual. Um, so I'm just curious to hear about how that came to be. And if you think your experience as president has been affected by being a 2L instead of a 3L. Cool. So yeah, well, so when I met Femi, he was the uh, SBA president. So I met <laughs> Femi at Admitted Students Day at the, um, well, it was during, it was on Admitted Students Day, but it was at the uh, TMLS banquet. And TMLS is the Thurgood Marshall Legal Society, which is the name of yeah. uh, UT Law's Black Law Students Association. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Femi, he was uh, great. He was very open and welcoming. I ended up uh, hanging out with him and uh, the, the, the young lady who ended up becoming the next SBA president my one year, the three of us hung out with some other people that night, and it was great. But I think that um, as far as being a tour, I'm glad I was president during this time because, um, I mean, Austin is, is uh, you know, I guess liberal, quote-unquote liberal, compared to a lot of other Texas cities, right? But there are there is a strong conservative um, base there, um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? But what I will say is during this summer with so much uh, social and political unrest, I think it was important to have a student activist as the head of the student government during that time because there were some things that we needed to do. There were some things yeah. that needed to be addressed. And I'm glad I was there to do it. I'm glad that uh, I was president for that time. And also, like, navigating through a global um, pandemic was also tough. So I think that it was important to have a, a student body president who had his experience organizing, you know, who's a personable mm -hmm. person. And so I think that yeah. uh, I was the perfect person for that time. And um, thankfully, the students agreed when they when they elected me. Now, I, I did run against two, uh, two L's to get the position, but they switched to rank. Uh, they they switched to ranked choice voting because they were afraid that since I was the only one L in the race, the two L's would split the vote and I would win. Um, but I won anyway, even when we switched to, to ranked choice voting. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you mentioned that you were aware of some, I guess, some some issues and you wanted to be in that position, you know, to just... I guess be be properly positioned to, you know, take care of those things. And and you mentioned how you know Austin does have that um, I guess more conservative base. So can you just describe some of the things that you were able to do as as SBA president, or or maybe you know they were offset just by the the pandemic. Sure. Yeah. Canada. So so some of the some of the things we were able to do is of course like put out a statement for George Floyd and also organized student protests in Austin. So like send, uh, sending students resources, because as the SBA president, right, you have a, you're able to email the entire uh, law school. I think, I don't, I think including professors, if I'm not mistaken, but definitely every law school. Yes, yes. Definitely every law student. So during that protest time, I was able to, it was easier for me to organize students, right? To send them information on where the protest mm -hmm. is being located, to send them resources on how to be safe, um, you know, what to do if you're tear gassed, to encourage students, to motivate students. So organizing during the protest movement was important, but also being able to appoint the chief diversity officer 
um, is another thing I was able to do. And then, and, and I was, so I was appointed to the Austin Bar Association Board of Directors, the first student ever appointed during that summer as well. And one thing I was able wow. to do is write in our SBA constitution that, because the way they, the way they did it is um, they said that the president wanted, and some of the board members wanted to appoint me, but some of the other board members were concerned saying that they feel like it might be seen as favoritism, right? Uh, if, they, if there's no application process. So they decided to go around that to make it like a, a position where the president, the student body president or someone they designate will be in that position. So I wrote in our SBA constitution that the chief diversity officer has to be the person the president appoints because I understand that students of color often okay. aren't able to get these type of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I want to ensure that since um, it was a student of color who made this possible for the UT law community, that students of color will be able to benefit from this professional experience. So that's some of the things that um, I was able mm. to accomplish uh, while president. Mm. That's, wow. that's great foresight. Wow. And so let's let's talk about, you know, more recent developments. So, you know, previously you you, you told us that uh, you were the chair for the Southwest Black Law Student Association. Um, that includes UT and um, 19 schools in total in, in the Southwest region. Um, so what 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 were your uh, your stated objectives as the chair for Swabalsa? And, you know, how did you then decide, you know what, I want to go for the big kahuna. Mm -hmm. I, I want to run for chair of the National Black Law Student Association. So one of my one, my main objective was so the theme for my year was public leader um, was um, servant leadership to whom much is given, much is required, because one thing I noticed yep. was that. Um, at the convention I went to, at the Swabasa convention, it was very like corporate law centered, which is fine. But I felt, but a lot of the public interest students felt like they didn't have a voice. Like there were no employers there for them for the job fair. There were no panels to speak to their issues. So I wanted to have, in addition to, because uh, I want our students to get the bag as well, right? I want our students to be gainfully employed. So, but in addition to right. the big law firms who come and, to, and who are represented, I wanted to make sure we had. Uh, a public, a very strong public service present during my administration. So uh, some of the things that I accomplished is, of course, we did the um, we did the pre-law symposium, um, and where we provided pre-law um, opportunities and um, and scholarships and things to to pre our pre-law students. We did a, a academic and chapter leadership retreat where we basically gave our students the tools to succeed in the classroom and uh, provided mentorship, like the upperclassmen to the um, lowerclassmen. We did, uh, um, mm -hmm. we also did a job fair where we provide, gave our students opportunities to get jobs. And we brought in, in addition to the corporate firms, we brought in public service firms as well. And then of course at our, we did our uh, convention, right? So our Swabasa convention, and we had, we brought in the international chairwoman of Aiken Gump because in addition to her being, it being an international firm, they also have the Aiken Gump uh, pro bono scholars where they pay students yeah. uh, big law money yeah. to do public service work during the summer. So we felt it was important to bring her in to speak about that. We had the attorney general of uh, Nevada, who's the first black attorney general in Nevada. We brought in the president of the ACLU. So it was just an incredible, uh, in, in the yeah. environmental law attorney, who won the case for uh, the the Flint water crisis? And one of the students who sat in on the panel, he hired them on the spot. Who who sat in on his panel? So we just wanted to provide exposure 
and opportunities to the students in the Southwest region. As far as um, deciding to run for national chair, I felt like I was in a unique position to do that because every other regional chair was a two, uh, was a, a three, right? They were graduating and most regional chairs are. And so a lot of the times okay. national chairs, they're like an exec, uh, they might be an executive uh, under the, the chair or they might have done leadership on their local level. So I felt like I was the most qualified for the position because I was already a chair. I had already, uh, you know, done a job fair, done a convention, done all of these things. And I already had that executive right. experience, not only as uh, Swabasa chair, but also as a uh, SBA president. So and um, so I did run against a very formidable opponent who was a student at Notre Dame who served as uh, in the executive board under the, uh, the past national chair. But uh, fortunately, the students chose me and I am now the national chair. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I know <laughs> this 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 is pretty awesome. Um, so I, I did want to back up just a little bit. So you were speaking about, you know, these fairs and, and um, just the other bits of programming that you did for, for Swibalsa. But were they all at the convention or were these These separate? were separate. These like, were all separate events. None okay. of those uh, events that I mentioned before happened at the convention. Okay. And so were these, these were for all of those schools and they weren't just exactly, for UT? Yeah, they were for all 19 schools in the Southwest region. The Southwest region consists of all the schools, law schools in Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, wow. and Louisiana. Yeah. And so, so now you're the chair for just the country. Yep. Uh -huh, the country, and, and also we have chapters in the islands and the Caribbean, and we have a, a Canada and Canada as well. Okay, and so would would you have you would obviously have to liaise with those separate chairs, or are they underneath you, so you the, as well? The, the chairs in the um in the Caribbean are under me. That the chair, but in Canada they've made like okay. a, a sister organization. So they're um, mm, it, of course Canada. <laughs> you know. Okay, so you know. It, it, it's interesting, you know, you've, you've honestly, you've been an organizer, but organizing has a lot to do with programming. Mm -hmm. um, and you've been practicing that, you know, your, your whole career as an activist, as an organizer. Um, so have you been able to sort of hone your skills more now that you're sort of doing this just like consistently uh, in these roles? And, and now, you know, you're going to be doing this on a national mm -hmm. level. Um, so, you know, how, how have you been able to own your skills? Do you foresee any more challenges in doing this now that you, you know, you might have to make programming on a national level? Yeah, I've definitely been able to hone my skills and the, I think I've, I've, and I've improved because like when I was in Houston, you know, I was at Texas Southern university. It was, I was mostly dealing with local issues, uh, city, you know, city issues besides Sandra Bland. I feel like Sandra Bland was kind of like a, we were in an international spotlight for that. Like they had me on the mm -hmm. cover of Al Jazeera's. It was pretty intense. But other than Sandra Bland, like most of the, the activism and organizing I did in Houston was centered around local issues like Houston Police Department body camera policies or cases of police shootings and police brutality. Um, but it, now yeah. that I'm in Austin, a lot of the things I'm dealing with are on a state level. Um, so uh, why, that I have been before this part were on a state level. So, um, yeah. yeah, stepping into the national, uh, stepping onto a national platform and being the spokesperson for all the black law students in the United States, I think that definitely is going to come with its challenges. 
but also with these opportunities. I'm I'm a person who always sees the opportunities in adversity, and and I think that I've been blessed with that, and and I'm looking forward to to the opportunity to uh, to bring what I have to offer on a national scale. What do you think um, is sort of the benefit for anyone to be a member of an organization like Nabalsa and I guess to that, like sort of what is your pitch in trying to get students involved in it? Mm-hmm. Well, so I believe that in our profession, networking is so important, right? Like your network is your net worth. And so the like Nabasa has the best and brightest law students that this nation has to offer. So I'm a firm believer in that iron sharpens iron and just being connected to so many incredible mm-hmm. attorneys that's going to give you work in the future. Like a lot of the times mm-hmm. you get jobs based off of people, you know, and people who know you not necessarily based off of, uh, you know, what you've done, but also, uh, student, what, during my campaign, uh, while I was campaigning, I was telling students that, you know, as an abasa, you know, your dues paying members and, and I, and I'm going to give you a return on your investment. So we're, we're going, we're, we're working on getting Nabasa students, to join the uh, boards of their state bar associations, right? Because that's something I, I was able to do on a local level. I want to do that on a national level now. Mm-hmm. We're working on sending students yeah. to getting firms to, to fund students to go to the Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legislative Summit in D.C. We're also, you know, providing scholarships and pre-law scholarships. So in addition to the network, to the network and being connected to so many brilliant and bright and talented future attorneys, also, there are other tangible benefits to to being an Abasa member. Yeah, well, and this might this is my own gap of knowledge because I know Femi mentioned in in his introduction that it was the largest student run nonprofit. I think just generally in in the country. Can you give, how how large is it? Like how many members? So we have over six thousand members. Wow. Mm-hmm. But and also like that's just the dudes paying members, right? So really, yeah. you represent every black law student in the nation, and um and just because right. you didn't pay your dues, don't mean I won't help you out. Although you need to pay your dues, but it doesn't mean I won't represent you, right? <laughs> but yeah, as far as, as far as dues paying members, we have over six thousand dues paying members. Okay. Yeah, and I, I imagine so many more people just benefit from the programming that happens um throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that uh, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think related to the questions we're going to ask next, sort of what we've used the term, I think, organizing or being an organizer, as well as being an activist a lot, I think, during this episode, which I like. And it's actually a term I didn't really think too much about until law, like hearing certain speakers in law school. So I'm just curious if you have a definition for what it means to be an organizer and what what it takes to be a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I, that's something I'm not, I haven't given much thought to like my definition of an organizer, but like on the fly, I would say that an organizer is a person who is informed on, uh, on the issues, informed on the issues and who can galvanize a group of people to work towards a common goal. And mm-hmm. so I think, I think that would be my definition. Now, if I think about it, maybe I would, that, that might change, but just off the top of my head, I would say that would be an organizer. Yeah. So someone who's informed on, on a specific issue, a problem that needs to be solved and who galvanizes a group of people toward, to work towards that common yeah. goal. And to be a good organizer, you have to be informed on the issue. You have to be a quick learner. You have to be able to think on your feet 
and you you have to be yeah. a people person, right? You have to be someone who motivates and inspires others, and you need to be able to lead by example. So they don't people don't want to follow someone who's just sitting back and barking orders. Yeah. They want to follow someone who's who's in the action, right? And, yeah. and you have to understand that everybody does everything. There's no uh, big eyes and no little use. Like no one is too big or too important to perform any of the tasks that are yeah. necessary to reach that mm -hmm. goal. Amazing. What what parting words would you have for first or second year law students who are on the fence about getting involved in student organizations? Mm -hmm. I would say that you should. So you don't want to go through law school. And the only thing you have is, I guess, you know, your summer job or um, and your grades. Right. I think that it's important to be involved and demonstrate leadership because oftentimes like if you're going for a clerkship or a scholarship, right, or a job, and and you there's you and there's another candidate, and you and your and your job and your GPA is equivalent, right? You have similar GPA, uh, similar writing skills. Okay. The thing that's gonna put you over the top is your leadership abilities. So if if you if both of y'all have similar grades, or even if your grades are slightly better, right, just by a little bit, um they're going to pick the person who's a leader who who's able to balance not only performing well in the classroom but also uh, being civically engaged or being active on mm -hmm. campus or being a leader because that's what they're looking for they're looking for uh, someone who demonstrates leadership and also as far so that's what i would say on being involved in student organizations but also on being uh, an activist and on being involved in uh, pressing issues that that people you know need help on i would say that it's, it's, it's not enough to just, you know, do your do a nine to five. I think that it's important to give back as well, like to whom much is given, much is required. And I know that when I stand before God on Judgment Day, I won't be asked the question posed to Cain, where were you when your brother's blood was crying yeah. out to God? Because I was there yeah. for my people. I was there for my brothers and my sisters. Yeah, enough said. I mean, I, I have nothing <laughs> else to add to that. It's... That is a that's a powerful yeah. statement. Um, so I, I I normally have like a fun question, but I honestly wanted to just uh, I wanted to bring back to a speech that you gave at the last TMLS event, <laughs> um, the the last TM, TMLS banquet, um, and you know you had just a powerful metaphor, I, and I think it was about being engaged uh, in TMLS, and it was about you know taking care of your dog. So if, if you don't mind just sort of summarizing that speech for the <laughs> sure. listeners, because, be, be, because I, I honestly thought that that was just a powerful way to, to discuss, you know, getting mm -hmm. engaged. Thank you. Uh, I don't remember it fully. I do remember that it was a great night. It, uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> People, uh, it was, it was, it was amazing. I believe the metaphor was uh, like feeding the dog. Right. So basically you can't really complain about, the, the circumstance or the situation your community is or your organization is if you're not uh, actively participating because it's like if you have a, a skinny or, or a scrawny dog, um, the re you have to feed that dog. You have to provide nourishment to that dog so you can have a strong dog. So if your organization is in a state of disarray, if your organization is looking uh, skinny or, 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 or malnourished, you have to ask yourself, did you feed your dog? Did you contribute? Did you show up to the meetings? Were you active? Were you uh, participating? You know, did you give back? So 
um, you have to ask yourself, did you feed the dog? So it was something along those lines. But, you know, when I when you're on stage and, you know, and, and you're in front of a big crowd, I think the, the, it inspires you to give a, a more, um, I guess, robust and performative speech, you know. But uh, that that's pretty yes. much what it yes. was. That's the yes. essence of what the speech was. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, you know, just just in line with that, I hope people that are listening, uh, especially law students, but also attorneys, um, because attorneys will definitely sort of hide behind, you know, billable hours or what have you. And, oh, I, I can't get engaged. But, you know, as much as you can, you should definitely get engaged mm-hmm. into whatever area um, that you're in. Like, we all need to be engaged. We all need to be keenly aware of the issues that impact us as a society, um, not just as as people, you know, with careers. Um, and I think uh, Anthony is just... You know, he, he's a great example of that. Um, so once again, you know, we, we want to thank you for the service that you've done so far, the service that you're about to do. And, and you know, we, we wish Thanks. you the best. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. And Femi, next time I'm in Houston, we definitely have to link up. Or if you're in Austin, let me know. Thanks so much. Alrighty, no problem. All right, peace. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlightspodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.